Luigi, Mario! You gotta come with me, I need your help. What, what's wrong? You're never gonna believe this. I believe it. My army! Koopas! Koopas! We will destroy the Mushroom Kingdom! Welcome to the Now Playing Podcast Super Mario Brothers Retrospective Series. A video game based on your many adventures. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. It just don't get no better than this. Hosted by Arnie. He is cute, but he is... Justin. Good choice, cousin. I always thought he'd make a great Goomba. And Stuart. We're adorable! This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Fresh meat for the grinder. Listener discretion is advised. Today we're discussing the Super Mario Brothers movie, starring Chris Pratt, Anya Taylor-Joy, Charlie Day, Jack Black, Keegan-Michael Key, Seth Rogen, Fred Armisen, directed by Aaron Horvath and Michael Jelinek. It's-a me, Arnio, co-host of Now Playing! <laughs> Do you think the accent was too much? <laughs> Maybe a tad, it's Stuart. <laughs> this is Justin. Welcome back to the Warp Zone, folks. It has been a long time since we started a Super Mario Brothers retrospective series of one movie mm. starring Bob Hoskins. Yeah, it's the 30th <laughs> anniversary of the live action movie that Nintendo, you know, I don't know, probably embarrassed about. I feel like some bad movies from the 90s end up getting, like, turned into affectionate, like, you know, I love Garbage Pail Kids, but I don't get the sense that anyone ever came around to the Bob Hoskins thing. There are. There are fans. I've found them online. There mm. are groups of people. I imagine it's about the same as the fan base for Lawnmower Man 2, but <laughs> it's a small but devoted group. Yeah. Low. <laughs> I mean, there's a fan for everything, but I, I don't get the sense. I'll just frame it this way. I feel like for many people, this is the first time Mario is coming to the big screen. And animated. It hit me. All of these arcade movies we've done, with the exception of maybe Angry Birds, they've all gone live action. Maybe animated's the way to go if you're doing a video game, right? Keep it in the CG world, keep it stylized, be able to leverage the video game atmosphere and aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, we all kind of felt the same way, but I think that was the biggest mistake Sonic made, you know, trying to bring Sonic into the real world. It just, it just felt like any of those other half CGI, half real world movies. And maybe that would have been better served if it was fully CGI. Yeah, you're probably right. It's a more consistent movie, but uh, it also just means like next, right? Like I just immediately ignore any animated anything. I mean, it could be, they could make the next Aliens movie. Great. I can't wait to see it. It's animated. 
eh, I'll pass. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm not going to go. It, to me, it trivializes a franchise. It says, oh, this is something you can skip. Well, do you feel that way about all animation or specifically kid-based animation? Like, obviously, you love Akira, which is anime. We covered, as part of the video game retrospective, Final Fantasy, which was CG animation. I mean, did you think of those in the same way you think of Mario? No, because it starts with an illumination tag with minions hopping around. And again, it just signals to me this is for children. And if I didn't already have that signal, walking into my IMAX screening on Wednesday morning, oh my God, (laughs) I just felt so old. Is it spring break? We're all the kids out. They were. It was a crowded, it was 1.30 show, but they were all there. And uh, excited for it, some cosplaying. I thought I could be cool. I, like, kind of walked in. I just kind of quickly flashed all my tickets now. I don't even have to say the words. I could just flash my ticket and walk in, go to concessions, because I'm like, I'm going to load up on something here. And they're like, oh, you want the uh, level up popcorn box, don't you? I was just like, no, get that away from me. I'm here for (laughs) John Wick 4. No, they knew what I was there for. Nobody else was there on a Wednesday afternoon to see this. And again, big crowds, big, sizable, all ages. I mean, yes, children were there, but they were being accompanied by 20-year-olds, 50-year-olds, grandmas, and everyone seemed to be in a good mood but me. I underestimated the appeal of this movie. I decided to go at 7 o'clock on a Friday night. And I'm still in Springfield. I didn't go IMAX. I completely forgot we have general admission theaters. Down where I live, every theater is a pick-your-seat theater. So I bought my ticket to the 7 o'clock, but didn't have a seat reserved. I walk in at like 7.05 because I didn't want to sit through all the trailers. (laughs) The place is packed. And it is parents and kids, and the kids were 10 and under. And I'm like, did I just walk into a Disney World field trip? What is going on? I literally had to sit in the front three rows because that's how full the theater was. I can't remember the last time I've had to sit in the front three rows there on the ground with my neck craned up. And I'm going to just give a shout out to my audience and the parents in it. The kids were non-disruptive. They were into the movie. Anytime a kid started to get antsy, the parent was on it and took them out of the theater. I had a great theatrical experience with a whole lot of youngins, and usually that's not the case, which is why I thought going at 7 o'clock on a Friday night, they wouldn't bring the kids that late. I thought that the kids would go to matinees, but it was a good audience, an enthusiastic audience, and a full audience. Yeah, same as about about the same as my experience. I mean, I was originally going to go to a two o'clock afternoon show, and looking at the seat map, it was it was pretty sparsely attended. But then Tyler, my son, decided he wanted to go, so we went to a six o'clock showing on Thursday, packed to the brim, kids everywhere, families everywhere. And I think, you know, with it being Easter weekend, spring break, it's good timing for this movie. A lot of people already have the kiddos home, want to get them out of the house. And this is something that all ages can go to. So, yeah, I think 
this movie's probably going to have a pretty good box office, but I think a lot of it is timing. Yeah, they moved it. It was supposed to be a Christmas release, and maybe they got scared off by the Navi, but there doesn't seem to be much competition for this. And yeah, Mario has been around. There have been enough people holding game controllers at this point that, yes, you could have grown men that don't have children showing up there to watch this as well. But is there appeal? Like, I feel like it signaled pretty heavily that this was made for children. And... I don't know. Like, I, the directors, I'll give them some credit. I did enjoy Teen Titans Go to the Movies. I was hoping for some of the same snark and sensibility. But for the most part, everything that I saw about the trailers told me that this was for the youngest set. I think that's something that it took me a long time to come around to. I think it took Nintendo a while to come around to it, too, is, hey, they don't have to change what Mario is to keep the general appeal. And I think that's what they tried to do with the original movie was, hey, we need to make this grittier to bring in adults or whatever. But Mario and that land is appealing in and of itself. They don't have to change it up or down to try to grab different audiences. It is what it is, and either you like it or you don't, I think is kind of the realization Nintendo came to. And I do think we're kind of anomalies. Two out of three people on this podcast don't have children. But as you mentioned, Stuart, Mario has been around since Donkey Kong in the 80s. Three to four generations of people, I'd say the youngest baby boomers even, would know Mario. And so you could take your kids, you could take your grandkids and have some nostalgia. But yes, I don't think this is necessarily aimed at the childless. Yeah, we'll talk about it. I'm going to give them the plot and we'll find out how super Mario's movie is. Mario, voiced by Chris Pratt and his brother Luigi, voiced by Charlie Day, are a couple of plumbers in the New York boroughs of Brooklyn and Queens. One night, while trying to fix a major leak in the sewers of Brooklyn, the two brothers are sucked into a warp pipe and transported into the Mushroom Kingdom. Luigi lands in the Darklands, ruled by dinosaur-like King Bowser, voiced by Jack Black. Bowser is the power-hungry ruler of the Koopas. He recently just obtained the Superstar, which would make him invincible. He yearns for the love of Princess Peach, voiced by Anya Taylor-Joy. Bowser hopes to wed the princess and merge their two kingdoms into one. If Peach refuses, Bowser will use the Superstar to destroy the Mushroom Kingdom. Mario lands in the beautiful kingdom of Princess Peach, who's preparing for war with Bowser's Koopas. Mario is so worried about his brother Luigi, now a prisoner of Bowser, that he joins Princess Peach's mission to find allies to stand against the Koopas. Princess Peach teaches Mario the magic of her land, including mushrooms that can make Mario grow large and jump far, and flowers that give him the ability to shoot fireballs. Mario and Peach, joined by one of Peach's toad subjects, voiced by Keegan-Michael Key, go to the Kingdom of the Kongs, hoping the gorillas will join forces with the Mushroom Kingdom to fight off Bowser. King Cranky Kong agrees to help Peach if Mario can defeat the king's son, Donkey Kong, in combat. Thanks to a power-up that gives Mario the powers of a cat, he defeats Donkey Kong. There's a Mario Kart chase back to the Mushroom Kingdom, and Bowser captures Princess Peach and makes her agree to marry him. But Peach interrupts the wedding by using an ice flower and freezing Bowser, while Mario and Donkey Kong arrive to fight off the Koopas, and, in the battle, Mario rescues Luigi. Bowser fires a bonsai bill to destroy the Mushroom Kingdom, but now wearing a flying raccoon suit, Mario saves the kingdom and sends the missile into a warp pipe. The explosion causes Bowser's ship 
and all of our main characters to be transported back to Brooklyn. The final showdown happens between Mario and Bowser, with each struggling to get the superstar to defeat the other. At the last minute, Luigi finds his courage and saves Mario, and Mario and Luigi get the superstar together. Now invincible, they easily defeat Bowser and his troops, and Princess Peach gives Bowser a blue shrinking mushroom to make him very tiny. The media hails Mario and Luigi as the heroes who saved Brooklyn, but the two decide to live in the Mushroom Kingdom as credits roll. And as they start, my ignorance, I'm just going to remind everyone, not a Nintendo player. I didn't have the system until really late. I didn't play a lot of Mario. I thought this was King Koopa blowing in here at the beginning, but then he walks out and everyone says Bowser. Is that the same thing? They're one in the same. They are the same thing? Yeah. This is Dennis Hopper? Yes. Okay. All right. I was confused by the name. You know, knowing that we were going to cover this and that, you know, I was going to have to see it, I didn't pay much attention to any of the marketing. I just wanted to see what hit me through osmosis with this movie. And the only thing I really knew was Chris Pratt was playing Mario, and that caused a little bit of a kerfuffle last year when they announced it. But I was kind of surprised to sit down and find out, hey, Charlie Day's in this. I like Charlie Day. Jack Black's here. He's having a minute this week, you know, shows up in Star Wars and as bowser and super nintendo movies hey he's he's having a moment so yeah i was happy that some of my more favorite people are showing up to be in this movie i played a similar game i didn't know anybody connected to it except chris pratt and i wasn't sure who he was voicing uh, particularly when we first hear mario and he's got the thick italian accent but yeah jack black i did not pick out until later when he's at the piano singing and as soon as that happened i'm like ah tenacious d mm-hmm <laughs> And the opening here is, if you saw the main trailer, it's just the trailer. It's Bowser and his lava kingdom coming to a ice kingdom where the penguins fight back with snowballs. This entire scene was in the first trailer, and it's cute. I see why you'd make it the trailer. I don't know why you wouldn't put Mario in your Mario Brothers trailer, but it focuses on Bowser and the humor of the battle, lets you know this is going to be a very light movie. Also sets kind of a dark tone, though, doesn't it? I mean, it's at night, and we have this big floating fortress with lava dripping onto snow and all that stuff. I mean, to me, if that's all I had seen, I would have thought this movie is going to be way darker than what it ends up being. I can say this much. Having not consumed a lot of the pre-materials, like Seeing it on an IMAX screen in this way, it's got opulence. Visually speaking, it is very impressive. And I imagine for many players, it is just enough to see the game's stylization done in this way. Like, it doesn't need to have a story. It doesn't need to have characterization. I just want to see the 8-bit stuff done up like this. If that's your jam, like kind of the opposite thinking of Minecraft, if you like to see something pixelated become grand, I think this movie does have a lot to offer. The CGI is amazing. The introductory shot of Bowser that goes from foot to head really had me marveling at the level of CGI, but the army he brings with him, you've got the flying turtles with the wings, you've got the regular turtles or Koopas, you've got the Goombas, you've got the Hammer Brothers... You know, there's a great Collider page that I went to. We could spend an entire podcast just listing all the Easter eggs and all the references to all the Mario games. I can't say I caught them all, but I caught a lot. It's like 
whoever made this really played every game, read the actual manuals to get the names of the characters like I used to as a kid, hence the Hammer Brothers and all of that, and decided we're going to put it all in here, starting with this first shot, we're going to see all of these bad guys of Bowser's. Yeah, and I, I have to echo that. The animation is top-notch, and the character design, I think they did a really good job, because you have to, like Stuart said, you kind of have to upscale these from 8-bit, which they've done over the years, you know, in Super Smash Brothers and stuff like that. They've already made 3D models of these characters, but they put so much detail and texture into these guys. You know, Bowser, you can see scales. There's a difference between the sheen on his skin to his face. So, yeah, there's there's some love poured into this character design. Yeah, if Pixar is my standard, it's usually the only animated films that I see on the big screen, then this one is visually matching that. And you mentioned that they're referencing a lot. You know, some people say that the lowest form of humor is puns. I don't know. Uh, it might just be, like, reminding you of all the things that Nintendo has done before. I have that moment in the next scene when we jump to a pizzeria and are watching a locally produced commercial. Do they even have those anymore? Oh, yes. They have them in Dallas. Okay. All right. I recognize the song instantly. Hooked on the Brothers. That was the Super Show theme. From Captain Lou Albano's Mario, yes. <laughs> I could not believe they'd bring in Hooked on the Brothers, but I love that they did. Yeah, but that's what they're going to do. But you talk about reference humor, I'm going to say there's a difference. Family Guy is random pop culture references and calls them jokes. And that I enjoyed for a couple seasons and got really tired of pretty quickly. Here... What they're referencing is Nintendo culture. They're referencing their own root material, which I think is a higher level of reference humor than just grabbing whatever's in the pop culture. Yes, they're going to have a cover of Bonnie Tyler's I Need a Hero later on. Yes, they're going to have some of that kind of referencing to things outside the Nintendo world, but referencing Mario is stuff I really like. I don't think it's in place of jokes. I think it is a wink and a hug to the fans of Mario over the years. Okay, just to show you how crossed my arms are. You could call it that, a wink and a hug, something loving, or you could call it crass commercialization and marketing. Like, I feel like, oh, you're just going to try and sell me uh, all of your materials. I mean, we, we can get there, and I mean, we'll talk about it throughout the movie, but I feel like they walked that line pretty good. You know, it's not like they threw in marketing opportunities for Skittles or Sprite or anything here. They kept it in the <laughs> Nintendo world, you know? <laughs> Shazam 2 did hit a new low, I agree. But uh, yes, here in the pizzeria, there's a stereotypical Italian man playing Jumpman, which I think was an early version of Donkey Kong, right? Or the original name? The original name was Jumpman when Mario was in Donkey Kong, and the guy who's voicing the character playing Jumpman was the voice of Mario, who's like, the accent is great, oh, you know? I mean, they did that kind of nod to the original voice instead of just Chris Pratt's accentless, non-Italian version of this Italian plumber that came to us from Japanese programmers. 
years. But again, my point of referencing is like, I feel like we're going to get that hit with a lot. I feel like almost every scene is a screen from some Mario game. Not just Mario, but Nintendo. They're at the Punch-Out Pizzeria. Mm-hmm. We're talking Mike Tyson? Well, no, because Mike Tyson got kicked out of the game and was replaced by Mr. Dream or Mr. Wonderful or something after he beat up Robin Givens. So no, it is just Punch-Out. It is not Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. <laughs> well, originally it was a Nintendo arcade game that didn't have anything to do with Mike Tyson. When it came to the NES, Tyson was big and they added him in there. But yeah, I mean, it's just another referential thing. And like you guys said, Jumpman, that's before Mario had a name. You know, he was just the sprite they used in the Donkey Kong game. And the game he's playing is Donkey Kong, which is, all right, perhaps that's too self-referential as the game Donkey Kong and the character Donkey Kong are both going to be in this game, but... Yeah, Spike, is that the name of something? What we established in terms of story and in terms of arc for these plumbers is that they are breaking out on their own. They spent all of their pocket money to produce this local commercial because they used to work for this guy named Spike, and I guess because he's a big jerk and is making fun of them and bullying Luigi were to think that that was a good choice. But it's a huge risk. Yeah, The Wrecking Crew is one of Mario's earliest games from like 1985. And so they're referencing an early Mario game before Mario Brothers and Super Mario Brothers. And then they brought The Wrecking Crew back in the 90s for new games. So yes, they're making yet another reference with Spike and his Wrecking Crew company. So this is where my adult brain starts to ask some questions. I mean, that ultimately do not matter, right? Mm, Or do they? (laughs) Maybe. What is the dynamic of this Mario family. How old are Mario and Luigi? Mm-hmm. Because they're treating them like they're 13, but they have full-on mustaches. I have a similar issue, <laughs> I, and, and I don't think it's minor. I think it's a minor concern if you're here for the Nintendo love, but if you just wanted a Pixar story, yeah, what am I watching? Where's the tearjerker stuff? Like, the stuff that I connect with in a Pixar movie usually has to do with main character growth change grief all of this they're breaking out on their own they look middle-aged seems appropriate you can do that these days but you know luigi is still needs his brother to defend him like this is as deep as it will get that he will have a trauma of ptsd from the sandbox of bullies that knocked over his castles and by the end of this movie he'll learn how to stand up for his brother Oof. And Justin, maybe you have a much nicer family than I do, but I remember being in my 30s and still being career shamed by my parents and made fun of by my siblings for my lack of accomplishing what they have accomplished, even though they were all a decade older than me. Yes, it is weird that they're all still living in the same house, but I kind of rolled with this dynamic of once you're somebody's child, it's really hard for them to ever not treat you like a child, even if you have a full-on mustache and they're the proprietor of your own plumbing business. And again, the audience is for children. This is the audience that it's most important that they get the concept. And because every child has parents, they know that this struggle is relatable. Yeah, and like I said, it might not be too terribly distracting, but like it just, it's where my mind went, you know, because at first it's like, well, maybe Mario and Luigi are just visiting mom and dads and there's a family dinner, but later we see Mario in Luigi's bedroom, which is still decorated like he was an eight-year-old. That got a little confusing. Playing Nintendo. Playing Nintendo. Not just Nintendo, Kid Icarus. I had that game back in the (laughs) 80s. Ish. 
I don't want to do that. I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through this movie and go, remember when and nostalgia and referencing. Again, lowest form of humor. Well, then we're done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's all this movie is, Stuart. <laughs> okay, so that I can get to my thesis of I'm already concerned. I'm already concerned that these are sort of lightweight characters. I don't know why A-listers like Charlie Day and Chris Pratt would want to do this other than a money bomb. But yeah, like there's nothing here for them to act through. There's nothing to do dramatically. If you don't like the referential humor... Are you laughing at the jokes like Mario hates mushrooms? Ha ha, how ironic. He has to pick all the mushrooms out of his linguine. No, again, I call that referencing. But I do like the bit. I think the best bit in the whole movie is their first job. It really has a Tex Avery, Looney Tunes quality when they have to, of course, demonstrate their video game prowess. Their van dies. They have to run to the job through a construction site. We get to see them do all the things they do in a game. But I think it's appropriate to set that up. And then once they get there, the dynamic they have with the dog is cute. I genuinely enjoy the idea that the leak, fixing the leak was easy. Easy, but fighting off the dog that is furious you broke its bone, all the stuff with the shower and the leaking and all of that, is worthy of Bugs Bunny. Did that dog walk off the set of The Secret Life of Pets? He just didn't feel like the same art direction that the rest of this movie has with his personified face and everything. It did feel like a super pet. I do feel like, again, the last time I went to an animated movie in theaters was last summer when we had DC Super Pets. Same illumination company. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's a good point, Arnie, because it, that almost does feel like a cut-and-paste job because everything else in this movie is hand-tailored to fit the Nintendo aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And that dog is just an off-the-shelf illumination-looking dog. And, okay, so I think we've just illuminated something that's in my criticism, which is the idea, I'd love for them to get away from the game stuff and actually do fun animation stuff. And this may be the only time when they don't feel locked down by some 8-bit or 16-bit console concept. So... You just don't want a Mario movie is what I'm hearing. No, no, that is not. You're not hearing it correctly. I want them to tell me who Mario really is and not fall back on what you've already shown me in superficial video games. I was surprised that this mission that they had, this first plumbing mission, wasn't Mario Brothers. Before Super Mario Brothers, remember when they were just fighting turtles and running through pipes? <laughs> It's here. It's the next thing mm -hmm. that happens. They have a crisis where all of a sudden things just happen randomly in this. Like they have this job and then it's just over and we don't know the consequence of I assume it's bad for business or they get bad Yelp reviews or will have some negative effect to their business, but it's not really clear. Uh, but then all of a sudden on the news, randomly, for no reason that's ever defined, there's a giant water main break in Brooklyn and they run down there and wind up, I think, in that game, Arnie. I think that's Mario Brothers. I do agree with you. It bothered me upon reflection that this leak in Brooklyn is completely accidental. It's completely unrelated. I would think that Bowser melting the Penguin Snow Kingdom or something should cause a waterfall or something to spill through a warp pipe that would hit Brooklyn and thus Bowser's actions caused the involvement of the Mario Brothers. But no, it is just complete happenstance that there's this massive sewer leak in Brooklyn, and 
Even though this isn't what plumbers do. I don't think you just take a regular plumber who's going to replace your shower head and send them into the sewers for water mains. I think you get city workers for that, but Mario feels like he can, what, help the business get on the news and thus raise the esteem of the Super Mario Brothers plumbing company if he stops the Brooklyn leak? Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, just vagueness, you know, just because, like Stuart said, we bring in the baggage of what Mario is. And we have to fill in the blanks here. But just because this is really the last scene of establishing the family dynamics and the conflicts that Luigi is afraid and needs his brother to protect him, and Mario doesn't feel like he can get approval from his dad, do you think that this is enough? No, I don't. I feel this is a sloppily written film with underwritten characters. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I I just Mm -hmm. wanted to check because it is visually grand. I'm going to go back to that theme. You could ride this ride when they are in that pipe going with water. I'm like, this is some of the best animated water I've ever seen. Like this stuff could carry you away. And I'm in an audience, a crowded one, in which people are delighted and laughing when I don't even know what's supposed to be funny. They're being entertained and I'm feeling weird because I'm like, but where's the story? Where's the heart? Where's the stuff that would actually have you care? We had those moments. I mean, there's the line from Spike to Mario, you're a joke and you always will be. And in one line, we get Mario's character arc. And then... You get Mario telling Luigi, you can't be scared all the time. And Luigi's like, you'd be surprised. In one line, there's Luigi's character arc. I mean, it's here, but it's minimalist. It's almost obligatory. That's why I asked if it was enough. I see it. It's it's crude. It's there. But, you know, uh, thanks to the genius scribe Matthew Fogel, who also brought us Big Mama 3, like Father and Son, and Lego 2 movie. I've seen neither (laughs) of those. And that's (laughs) probably a good idea. (laughs) No, it it is very much feeling like this movie was made with all the references and they had check boxes like mm. make sure everything looks like Mario, make sure everything acts like Mario World. And then they got to the end of that list and they're like, oh, crap, story. Uh, well, we'll throw in some lines through and out and see what happens. Yes. It feels, you know, I picked on the screenwriter for bad movies he's made in the past, but perhaps he has a good script in him, but he feels dictated to. You will do this. You must show this. It has to happen this way. And don't do anything that's going to malign our mascot. So I, I feel like they're just, they're taking a very sanitized view of these characters that are only going to be dramatic for very young audiences and there's really nothing here for us dramatically to chew on yeah if you're going to compare this to pixar pixar is able to keep the interest of the youngest audience members while also providing character depth that would work for people of all ages Mm -hmm. maybe it goes over the head of the youngest audience members but here Everything is going to be visual, loud, fast, Teletubbies. I mean, you've got to keep it colorful and bright to keep the youngest kids engaged, and they wouldn't get deep character arcs. They wouldn't get that level of story until they're older, and that's not who this is aimed for. I think this is aimed even below Minions' audience age. Agreed. And that feels like a mistake, again, because there is, generationally speaking, decades and decades of different kinds of people here, and only 
the youngest will truly be served. Yeah, and we keep bringing up Pixar because, I mean, obviously that's the gold standard, but like a Pixar movie a kid can grow up with. You know, my kids grew up with Toy Story and, you know, now Toy Story 4, my adult son watches that with reverence and all that stuff. But this movie so far feels like it's aiming at two audiences. It's aiming at young kids and it's aiming at their parents who will be nostalgic for this stuff. And I don't feel like it'll age well. I feel like the kids will grow up and this movie will feel like kid stuff to them. And they won't have the same nostalgic look-backness at 8-bit Nintendo World that we do. Well, here's what I wonder. Is this meant to be nostalgic for this movie? Or is this meant to be nostalgic to go and play games? Is this just a big screen ad? That's what I'm fearing as we start here. And by the middle of the movie, I can actually tell you the moment where I went, oh... That's all this is. When they get to the Mario Kart, I was just like, oh, that's all this is ever going to be. I don't say ad. I say references because they're referencing things that you can't even go buy anymore. You know, the systems are so old that you'd have to get on the secondary market. But they don't spend long in the quote unquote real world. It's 20 minutes into the movie that they're sucked into that pipe and go to the Mushroom Kingdom. And while I haven't been enjoying this movie, my optimism is renewed because I'm like... All right, now they're here. Now they can do things. Now you're bringing in Keegan Michael Key, an actor who I like in a lot of stuff. Watch Schmigadoon on Apple Plus if you're not watching it yet. It's really good. And he's here as Toad, which is both the name of the species and the name of the character. And <laughs> it's reminding me of Mario Brothers 2 because you could play Toad in Mario 2, Mario, Luigi, and Princess Peach. All four of those characters are going to be our main protagonist group for at least the first half of the film. You say they get there, but they get split up, is what actually happens. Luigi goes down in a different path, and Mario is the one that gets, I think, the most interesting adventure, the one that does connect him with other iconic characters. I didn't play Nintendo. I don't know who Toad is. Toadstools are poisonous, by the way. There's a whole debate about, don't eat that, it's poison. But if it's a toadstool, yes, it's poison. I know, Stuart, you didn't play the Nintendo stuff. Justin, I don't know if you did, but am I the only one who expected Luigi to end up in a haunted house? Because he's being chased by skeletons and things, and I know the game Luigi's Mansion is like this haunted house, Luigi-centric game. Yeah, and they, they almost went there, right? Like, they gave him a flashlight, and he's, he's in a scary castle, but they didn't go all the way with it, which is fine. But, you know, at this point in the movie, I'm looking for things that maybe we've never seen before and they can flesh out here. And one of those things is what it's like to actually be in the middle of a warp, right? In the games, it's you go down a pipe, you come out a pipe. We don't see that in-between part. And what they come up with here is very much feels like the Bifrost from Thor movies, right? Like traveling through space with rainbows and all that stuff. But it it works. It helps build that world out a little bit to see these type of things. And it's an impressive world. I did recognize the Mario theme done in, you know, grand orchestral movements uh, as he gets here. Again, there's... To be in awe will carry you in the early part of this because it is awe-inspiring to see the little game become so grand on a big screen. And yeah, Toad, I mean, I didn't recognize his voice. I don't feel like he gets a moment in this movie. You tell me if you ever become endeared to him. But he shows Mario how to maneuver, right? All the things you do in the game. Lifts, pipes, sliding platforms, all that stuff is, again, really uh, imaginative gameplay. And 
you're right, Stuart, this movie is misnamed, because Luigi gets his moment here and then gets captured. This should really just be called the Super Mario movie, because it is not Super Mario Brothers for the majority of this movie. Luigi, much like in the real world, is forgotten. You had to have a two-player game to even be Luigi in Mario Brothers, so I feel like this is going to be entirely Mario's arc, whereas Luigi spends two-thirds of the movie in a cage. I'm not sure you should put Super in the title at all, but I get your point. (laughs) Well, you're referencing the game, I mean. But even to that point, is Mario the hero? I mean, sure, at the end we get some heroics, but, you know, the middle of this movie, it's Peach's game, right? Like, this is her world. She's the one who knows how to do it, and she's not a damsel in distress. That is problematic, right? I mean, you can't just have Peach be Bowser's prisoner in this day and age. You can't rush in and have somebody go, your princess is in another castle. You have to, you know, they're going to reference that, but I thought they might do it later on with Donkey Kong. I thought Princess Peach might be a captive that Mario had to rescue from Donkey Kong later on, but no, you have to have strong female characters. You don't want to fall back on those old stereotypes that, let's face it, that's what video games often are, are stereotypes you get to play and have fun playing in those worlds. But no, Princess Peach is going to be a fully actualized character and the most competent of the crew. Yeah, to be expected. I feel like that's the cliche of now. If the cliche of us growing up was that girls were always in the tower begging for the hero to save them, now it'll always be girls have no problems going through the big obstacle course. It's a snap for her. And first time she did it, no problem. And Mario just can't keep up. No doubt. I agree. And there's a little line drop that she doesn't know where she's from. You know, she was just dropped there as a baby and kind of took over. But I don't know if that's world building or just kind of like maybe planting some seeds for the sequel where she's a human and they can get married. I don't know if there's rules that shouldn't be broken that way. Yeah, walk me through this, Nintendo people. So Mario has a crush on the princess. I guess that's why he was trying to save her in the original game, Super Mario Brothers. I mean, it's not like the original Super Mario Brothers had deep plot and written out story. It was your saving a princess. But I'm a Donkey Kong guy. I remember Mario with a whip having her in a cage. You must not be a Mario guy. He had a hammer. (laughs) Oh, you're right. You're right. It was the monkey that had him. You're getting (laughs) Castlevania confused with it. (laughs) No, no. I'm blending them in my head with Donkey Kong Jr., which I actually played a lot more. Yeah. (laughs) I was surprised we didn't get Donkey Kong Jr. in here. The only game not referenced, I think. But you gotta save something for the sequel. But I think another trope of modern movies is that It can't just be that the female is the love interest. Does Mario have a crush on her? Does she have a crush on Mario? They're not really going to explore that in this film any more than they do in the original game. You have a lead male and a lead female, and the trope is they will fall in love in every movie, but they're not going to explore that in this one. It's going to be saved again for the sequel with just hints of romance throughout here. The real romance is between Bowser and Princess Peach, and Bowser is going to have a jealousy of Mario's relationship with Princess Peach, but is that jealousy rooted in paranoia, or is that jealousy rooted in Mario and Princess Peach are really connecting? That's hard to say. It's hard to say because it's underwritten, and that seems like a mistake. In any movie, you want to have characterization. If people are hanging out with each other, you want to know how they connect to one another. And the fact that we have one moment where Toad is going to play the flute, and they're looking up at the stars, 
that I think is the signal that at some point they will be going down the aisle together. Yeah, and, you know, we've touched on it, but it feels like no character on screen has any change or growth or whatnot. Like, wouldn't it have been better if Bowser's story was that he proposed to Peach and she rejected him, so then he started his reign of terror and evilness trying to win her over? But no, he's just bad from the beginning, and he's in love with her for vague reasons. She doesn't even know. Like, he hasn't contacted her. She doesn't know that he's coming to propose, and he's just tearing through the kingdom because he's in love with Peach. A more clever script could have made some allusion to cyber-stalking here. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. I didn't have the job of trying to do this, but it seems like the job would be to tell us things about these very flat, two-dimensional video game characters that makes them feel human, right? Like, that's your real task. If you're making a movie, you're going to tell us about the... Yeah, we just always presume Bauer's the bad guy. But why? That's the movie's job. And that they don't want to go there, it could mean two things. It could mean the writers are idiots. I'm going to give them the <laughs> grace to say, probably not true. It probably was Nintendo saying... Well, we don't want to imply too much about any of our characters. We don't want to go there. We want to keep them. In order for them to remain universal, they must remain vague, boring, flat. There's probably something to that. I mean, you do get to play as Bowser in several games, and so you don't want him to be too unlikable because he's somebody's favorite character. I think you're really onto something there, Stuart, because we can't walk out of this movie with totally changed concepts as who these characters are because they're still selling tickets to their new land in Universal Studios where all of this stuff exists in a frozen moment, right? We can't have kids thinking something different about Bowser. He's a good guy now or something and still have them in that park having experiences. You could, but I guess they thought that was too much of a risk. I would argue that when you expand like the Marvel Universe or something like that, I mean, you, you owe it to everyone to tell us more about their psychology. And I just feel like it's a, in the grand design mistake of this movie that they are going to just keep it ambiguous. And like that makes it more likable that they're generic. It's a strange choice to me. I, I don't get on board with this movie and that's the biggest reason why. Well, I mean, I want to keep on that point for a minute because I see right now Disney doing the opposite thing where they let the movies be what they want and then they'll kind of massage mm -hmm. that into their lands. You know, they have the Avengers Campus. Yeah, you make that generic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But this is the opposite of that. I think they're protecting the land and letting the movie be generic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why you would want to do that. I don't know why actors would want to sign on to do this. I just don't... I don't get the point of making this movie. Other than to remind people of games they played and to tell other people they should be playing these games. One of those games being Donkey Kong Country, I suppose. A game I only played a little bit. I didn't really have an N64, but I played it at my nephew's house and things. And so we're going to go to the land of the Kongs. And I'm really thinking they're walking some kind of line because we're going to meet the king. And I'm like, King Kong, can Universal allow you to do this? Mm, yeah, I was looking for that too, because that was a strange part of the story of Donkey Kong, is that, like, it's not a spinoff of King Kong, but we, of course, you know, have that in our minds when there's an ape at the top of a building. 
Donkey Kong comes from the Japanese wanting to figure out how in English to say stubborn ape. Stubborn meaning donkey, and then Kong meaning big ape. And so that's where the title Donkey Kong comes from. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so Cranky Kong here, played by Fred Armisen, is something that I've never heard of. I asked Tyler, and he was like, oh yeah, he's been in a few games and stuff, so this is in lore. That's not a character they're making up. Fred Armisen is the one voice I couldn't get. You know, I'm also playing the game of you guys of do I recognize the voices? I knew the main four because I'd watched... The Kelly Clarkson show, and they had Jack Black and Keenan Michael Key and Charlie Day and Chris Pratt all come out, but I didn't know anybody else. And I swear to God, I'm like, Cranky Kong, they got Larry David for this role. (laughs) Bernie Mm. Sanders, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, yes. So they get to a Donkey Kong world via Mario Karts. And again, this is about the time we're about 45 minutes into the movie where I realize, oh, it's a procession of video games. That's the idea here. Which again, I don't think conceptually is a bad idea, but that you have to do a lot more. Like that's the blueprint and then you fill it with the movie story. And here, the point seems to be to see those games come alive. And again, spectacular, the go-kart going through. I mean, I think Tom Cruise is actually performing that ramp trick. I I saw (laughs) in some ad for the next Mission Impossible, they do a similar thing where they fly in. Again, all of it carries you. But I think that's what makes it so insidious to me is that like people are just going along and saying we and no one's noticing that there's this huge gaping hole where heart and character should be it creeps me out well and maybe the movie's feeling that to a bit too because it's like right as i'm starting to come to that realization in this movie they introduce donkey kong and while seth rogan playing donkey kong might just be another distraction from the fact that it's bereft of character development and whatnot, it at least lifts this movie back up for me. I'm back into this movie now that Seth Rogen's Donkey Kong is on screen. He brings some presence that I feel has been missing for a while. Was The Rock just too expensive or was he just <laughs> too busy? Because this feels like a rock role, especially with the flexing packs and all of that. I'm like, this is a pro wrestling Donkey Kong. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, they probably approached him. You're right. Seth Rogen, how far down the list do you go from The Rock before you get (laughs) Seth Rogen? (laughs) (laughs) I like the juxtaposition, though, you know, a big, strong gorilla with, you know, played by historically known as a stoner type of character. Yeah, and this arena fight is fine. It's pretty good. It's I, I like the fact that it's high up and they're on girders and, you know, there's some sense of stakes when Mario... Essentially, here's the gig. They need this Kong army to fight the Koopa army. And for some reason, Cranky Kong doesn't think that's a priority. He's not moved by the threat. So it's all on Mario to beat his son. And I just thought for sure that Mario would have to climb up some girders and grab a hammer. They do do the barrel throwing. Kong will get some barrels and throw it. The barrels never turn into fireballs that sneak up behind Mario, but it's a wink and a nod without being a complete recreation of that original Donkey Kong game. Right. They're doing here is Super Smash Brothers, the fighting game. Oh, yeah. When did Mario become a cat? This whole inside joke, I don't even know. Super Mario Brothers 3, I believe, is when they started introducing some of those power-ups with animals. He became a raccoon in Mario 3. He became a cat in Super Mario 3D World. (laughs) Oh, okay. 
You said you didn't want to do this, Stuart, but here I am. No, no, no. I, I wanted to know where that came from because obviously you don't just write that. Like, that had to be a reference to something. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but I guess it's supposed to be funny that a grown man is in a cat suit. Well, that is rather amusing because at least they reference in this movie, you look ridiculous. I've never thought Raccoon Mario looked cool. I always think Fireball Mario looked cool, but if you're playing Mario 3, you want that raccoon suit, you don't want the fire flower and here they're gonna just laugh at the fact that he puts on these suits and gains the powers and gets to claw up donkey kong i guess in that game of rock paper scissors cat beats kong yeah and so now the kong army is going to go along with it and they can all get customized vehicles to ride around on the rainbow road or whatever. Again, all of this just feels like it's just, you know, gamer porn, right? I mean, this is like the stuff to get you off because you're like, oh, this is just like which I would ride in the Mario Kart 7 or something. Is that better or worse than Ready Player One, which basically did the same thing only with pop culture instead of just specifically Mario and Nintendo games? I think Ready Player One has, well, for First of all, it has humans in it, so it makes it easier to relate to for me. And two, yeah, it's a much better movie. There's stakes. There's You're invested in the dystopian world. It's, by contrast, to then go into nostalgia feels like what a lot of people do. Whereas here, I don't know, were we not to like Brooklyn? I mean, it's going to be weird that these characters end up entirely moving their business to Mushroom Kingdom. Like, I I don't know what the story... It's like Wizard of Oz and then Dorothy decides when she gets the red shoes, I don't want to go home. Like, you're right. Give me a controller. I'll just stay here. Yeah. It's almost as if maybe back in Brooklyn, Mario and Luigi were somewhat freaks and they didn't look like the rest of the animated people right and they were always being picked on and when they get to this other world they find out oh they belong here more is that the story uh, maybe it is i don't know but i'm saying the way it's written is you're right brooklyn is just like whatever you don't want to be there Mm-hmm. yeah right even though they play the beastie boys no sleep till brooklyn which celebrates brooklyn yeah, yeah. well i guess sabotage was unavailable <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm done with Beastie Boys in movies, by the way. Just, like, check that box, and we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The scene with them building their carts, I used to play Mario Kart, and I don't remember being able to, like, modify or build out my own cart. Maybe that was in later versions or whatnot. But this felt more like, hey, we need a scene, like, from that movie Wreck-It Ralph, where they actually put some heart into it, and it was, they were making their own candy-laden carts. Because that was part of the world and part of the game. Here it just felt like, ah, oh, we can do that too. Yeah, I assume there's some game somewhere you can do this. Or, even better, like this is something maybe in the next game you'll be able to do. And so won't this be great? As the non-gamer, I'm left twiddling my thumbs. There's no joystick in my hand. What am I supposed to be doing with all of this? There's like a, dare I say, existential crisis about why I'm surrounded by a, a room full of children that can't get enough of this and I can find no joy. And... I'm kind of there with you, Stuart. Justin, you and I have had the dichotomy throughout the entire arcade. I love cutscenes in a game. I love it when games get cinematic. You like to skip through the cutscenes and get to the playing <laughs> of the game. 
But at this point, with this second Mario Kart sequence, we're an hour into the movie, and I'm like, enough, give me a controller. I'm tired of this Mario cutscene. <laughs> I get it. The tutorial should be over now. Let me play. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's advertising. It's, it's telling you what you'll do when you leave this big screen ad. Like, that's the way that it feels. I'll try to be a little positive. Of all of the characters... Yeah, Kong's probably my favorite of the heroes, but he doesn't get much to do. I, he's a pompous person who gets humiliated by a cat man, and then he kind of later will have some grumblings with Mario about father disapproval. But for the most part, not much of a character. I feel like Bowser. If there's any character that takes the movie, it's Bowser when he, you know, he has a kind of cool rock concert. I was impressed by how heavy the heavy metal is at his show. Every time we cut to him, I feel like my mood perks up a little bit. I'll agree. You know what I was thinking of when his music was better? I was thinking of, remember Gem and the Holograms, that old cartoon? The Misfits, yeah. The Misfits, and they're like, we're the Misfits, our songs are better. And I'm like, yes, their songs are better. I like the Misfits. They're in minor keys, at least. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. Yeah, Bowser is, yes. I, you know, it's just so, as someone that lived through the 80s, I never needed to hear AHA's take on me again. So, like, watching these Mario Karts ride around to these songs and all of that, it's just... I don't know. Pandering is the first word that comes to mind. Well, to make matters worse, this was a real sticking point with Tyler. We walked out of that movie. He's like, man, if we're going to be in Mario world, don't be playing real world songs, right? Like you should keep this all in Mario. And he did a little digging and found out that guess what? There's a full score to this movie. Every one of those songs were replacements for an already written score mm. for this movie. Mm -hmm. And I think in Japan's market, they're going to leave them in there. Mm -hmm. I think it's, one of those domestic things where it's like they focus tested this movie and they weren't just getting enough member berries out of adults. So let's throw some 80s hits in there. Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense. It works for Shrek, right? When they do all the modern music. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. I'm not hating on the 80s. I lived through it. I have a place for it. But I just feel like when it's this empty, when it's done in this way, it feels desperate. It feels like you're trolling me. It feels like you've got nothing else. And so this is supposed to be enough. But while talking about music, the one place where my audience laughed the loudest is Bowser on the piano singing his Peach, Peaches, 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 Peaches song. Mm. I don't know what that was because... <laughs> The joke was lost on me. I'm like, he's just singing peaches and he's not doing it as well as the presidents of the United States of America. You know, I just think that it wasn't that funny, but my audience was losing it to that. That's a Jack Black improvisation, right? They didn't even have yeah. a song and then he just sat down and made that. It did, It has that kind of quality to it. I mean, there's something about, I was thinking a lot about Meatloaf, the artist, the musical artist, not the food. But yeah, the, the, this is the kind of bomb that he put out a lot these kind of uh, melancholy piano tracks that would just become more and more over the top peaches 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 it just feels yeah eye rolling you say that it's an improv and maybe it is but they did have the piano player specifically credited in the end credits since we sat through the credits i was reading all of them and the piano player was not jack black which is what i had assumed <laughs> Was it Kyle Gass? That's the other half of Tenacious D, and I wonder if he was, you know, maybe part of the writing here. But yeah, I mean, you said it, Stuart. Like, this is Jack Black entering his best meatloaf, right? He's mm -hmm. kind of having fun with this role. And to be honest with you, he's the only one that brings his 
personality to this role. Everybody else could have been left out of this cast and they could have just used any old voices, maybe even the original voices from the games. I did pick out Anya Taylor-Joy. I've just seen her enough recently in movies and shows and such that I just could pick out her voice. But yeah, I couldn't tell any of the other ones. Yeah, why Chris Pratt? Why did he even want to do this? I, it doesn't have any of his humor. The sarcasm that I associate with him in Jurassic World and Guardians, where is it? Do you forget he's the star of the Lego movie? I did forget that, but it, he's kind of sarcastic in that, yes? No, he's really optimistic and earnest and... Oh, you're right. Okay. Which is also a Chris Pratt thing, though. Like, I feel like he brought Chris Pratt to that role. Like, I can see Chris Pratt's, you know, Andy from Parks and Rec in that role. Here, it's him kind of doing a half-ass Mario impersonation and not bringing any Chris Prattness. Same with Charlie Day. I love Charlie Day. That guy is funny as hell. And he's not even doing a Luigi impersonation. He's just speaking his roles here. So, here's the question. Did they not care and not try, or did they do great tracks and then the heads of Nintendo heard it and said we're not doing that with our characters and cut it all the world will never know yeah wait till we get to the director's cut it's like how many licks to get to the center of the tootsie roll pop <laughs> i have to believe that they wanted the actors would want more of themselves to come through i have to believe that a lot of this is nintendo poo-pooing the idea that they should do more with their characters there's one character that i feel is risky and I love this character. It is the shiny light in this entire movie <laughs> for me. The only time that I actually felt the humor of this movie would work is a character that's in prison with Luigi, <laughs> the nihilistic Luma Lee from the Super <laughs> Mario Galaxy games, who's just in an insane world. The sane person is considered crazy. It's just this one character spouting these nonsensical non sequiturs. I loved it. Suicidal ideation is not something that usually shows up in children's entertainment. I agree. That was the fact that she is so <laughs> joyous about finally ending her suffering by dying is... A joke worthy of this directing team and the stuff that I've seen before. I was waiting for more of this kind of asides. I get you're making a kids movie, but usually there are asides for adults to laugh that the kids just won't get. And this feels like the only one in there. I agree. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I really enjoyed this character's little quips. And it, to make it all the worse, is it's a child's voice doing it, you know? And <laughs> I even turned to Tyler at one point. I was like, geez, are they really doing this? I mean, this is, mm -hmm. this is heavy stuff for a kids movie, especially since it's been so sanguine up to now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Sanguine. Good word, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting to a climax. It's basically it's the all is lost moment. So during this cart race across the rainbow, the Koopa Turtles came in and for something, a giant island fell through the road. And now Donkey Kong and Mario are in the belly of a eel. This is a reference I don't get. One of our listeners can come to our Facebook page and tell me in which game Mario went inside an eel or a whale and did his Jonah impression, but... Yeah. And it's, again, the one moment where I feel like they strive to humanize. Like, both of them realize they have fathers that don't approve of them. It's, again, sprayed on a little bit of dialogue, no heart to it, but at least you can see them trying to think about characters. The stuff that you need if characters are going to spend a moment like this in prison together the way that they bond the way that they figure to work together more of this please 
They just happen to find a rocket and blast off, and they get to the Mushroom Kingdom, where Princess has given up. I'm not going to marry you. And then they zap Toad, and she goes, okay, I'll marry you. But again, strong female character. She has this plot. She has a freezing flower so that she can save herself from the wedding. She does not need any man to save her from the wedding. She powers up, and much like in the game, she's shooting ice balls and freezing up everybody. She gets Bowser frozen. Yeah, she single-handedly defeats Bowser. Let's underline that. Yeah. Yeah, but only temporarily, because Mario and Donkey Kong blow in. They power up. He gets his raccoon suit, and as soon as he comes flying back after rescuing Luigi from going into the lava, the jealousy. Bowser is so angry at seeing Mario being hugged by Princess that he snaps out of that ice and i don't know the the missile this where's this coming from every mario game since super mario one okay all right so they have missiles with faces on it absolutely and he fires it at the palace but it ends up chasing mario again this kind of feels tex avery to me i mean more of this too would be appreciated uh anthropomorphic missiles chasing after our main character i could have used more personality sarcasm in this chase it just kind of goes into the green pipe and everyone gets sucked to brooklyn again the laziness of all of this i agree it's like why did we need to have the climax in brooklyn there should have been an implied risk like honestly i thought bowser should have moved his ideas of conquest to not just the mushroom kingdom but now he wants to conquer all of earth and that's a reason to go to brooklyn that they just show up in brooklyn and the same battle is occurring just with a different backdrop really is lazy yeah we just keep using the same terms there but it is what it is isn't that what they did in the 93 live action movie i know they went back to brooklyn and i know they did some king kong stuff on the empire state building but it seems to me like the video game characters were like oh i want to be real that movie was hard to determine when they were supposed to be in the real world and when they were supposed to be in like the mario world like it all just looked dystopian no matter where they were Mm-hmm. yeah Unpleasant film, yes. You know what I was thinking at this point that would have been an interesting way to go, though, is, Justin, you already brought up Sonic, where you mix humans with animation. Imagine if Brooklyn was all live action. Like, you had Chris Pratt, and you had Charlie Day, and once they were transported into the Mushroom Kingdom, much like The Wizard of Oz went to color, everything goes to 3D animation, and now if we come back with these people, you'd have quote-unquote realistic Bowser and realistic Donkey Kong and all of that in the real world. That would have been a really big risk, but I think I would have appreciated the mix-up more. Maybe it would have confused kids. Maybe they wouldn't have been able to tell it's the same character. But I would have liked that to really raise the stakes because to me, there isn't a real world here. There's fake Brooklyn, there's the Mushroom Kingdom, but if they made it feel like the real world had real risk, then I think I could have gone with it a bit more. I mean, that even speaks to the where this climax is going to go with the idea of, the, you know, the brothers, like, they start the movie by saying, we want to save Brooklyn, and I guess they do in this fight, but then just don't live there, like decide that they'd rather go and like move their business to the Mushroom Kingdom. Like I just, yeah, uh, I guess we can talk about this fight a little. It's corny, but Mario does what Mario does. He's not one to quit. So even though Koopa, Bowser, kicks his butt, he goes into that pizzeria, is inspired by that local commercial and still comes out swinging. I guess that's 
something to say about tenacity and the human spirit. But it's Luigi that saves him. Yeah, Luigi finally overcomes his fear because Mario was going to be flambayed by Bowser's fire breath and Luigi shows up with a manhole cover just in time to use it like Captain America's shield and protect them both. And the superstar does not have to go to just Mario, but Mario and Luigi can share the superstar and share the invincibility. Yeah, what the hell is that? And I go, oh yeah, this movie is called Mario Brothers. It's not just called (laughs) Mario. (laughs) But that's breaking with the game, right? It's first person to get the superstar. It's not share the power. Yeah, that's garbage. Yeah, I was like, how are they both having the power? That made no sense. Well, because we're trying to imply that this was about brotherhood. They're desperate for themes at this point. They know that they haven't told a story. Yep, and you know, much like the rest of this movie, it feels like somewhat of a cheat code to go to invincibility to beat the ultimate villain. Yeah, let's talk about the real messaging here. Kids, if you want to really succeed, you need to take drugs, right? Like, is that like our <laughs> enhancement, like uh, performance enhancement substances? Like, feel like nothing can actually be done when you're small. You have to, like, yeah, change yourself chemically. Well, that's what the game is. Again, you uh, to do it the other way would not be true to the game. <laughs> Maybe they could have learned a lesson, though, that all those things that enhanced them throughout the, the rest of the movie that helped them get over hurdles, they didn't really need it. They had it within themselves the whole time or whatever, but that's not the message here. Yeah, usually that's where you want to land. Like you, <laughs> Self-empowerment is usually a better message than, you know, eat this power up. But I think Nintendo is very cool with the idea of telling kids they need to eat up all their power ups. And Princess Peach gets the final kill on Bowser, or not kill, but shoves the blue mushroom in his mouth that's going to turn bowser into mini bowser and they're done like that's it the gloomy star comes out to play saxophone and mocks the infinite void that is this movie I have to say, you know, if I was at all on the fence, Luma Lee coming out at the end and being like, it's over, except for the endless void now is, you know, it's like (laughs) if I was at all on the fence, I'd be given a green arrow just for Luma Lee's ending here. Did you guys notice the song they were playing here at the end in the Mushroom Kingdom? It was Mr. Blue Sky from ELO, which is a song I didn't really know before Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Put it on the soundtrack, and now it's a song I associate only with that Chris Pratt movie. So to have it in this Chris Pratt movie just made me wish I was watching Guardians of the Galaxy instead. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's some mid-credits. You know, Bowser comes back again playing in a cage. They kept him small, but, you know, he'll be around for the sequel. And then they've definitely told us with that instinger, if you'd missed him, I think I saw him. There was a moment of questing. They had a montage when Toad, Princess Peach... And Mario were just kind of walking through video game lands where they had a pack of dinosaurs run by. I thought I saw Yoshi in that crowd, but he's definitely here. You saw Yoshi's. Yeah, I remember a pink one. You didn't see the Yoshi, but you saw, yeah, you saw the dinosaurs. Just this one actually goes, Yoshi! Is that what it says? I couldn't hear because the kids and the grown woman behind me were cackling so loud and going, he's going to cause so much trouble next time. And I went, oh (laughs) shit, there is going to be a sequel. (laughs) There is a next time, damn it. Yeah, this thing is making a ton of of money a absolute ton of money it looks like it may have in the first weekend 370 million global the biggest opening ever for an animated film wowzers 
No, Bowser's. Bowser's. But Justin Stewart. Hey, that's the lowest form of humor by Stewart right there. (laughs) (laughs) Justin Stewart, did you get leveled up by Super Mario Brothers? Justin. So we've complained a lot about this movie through this this review, but like that's kind of what we're here to do, right? We're here to nitpick the things that could have been done better or what we are hoping for. And all of that stands, right? Like it's the disappointing thing is is they could have taken this same movie and with some tweaks gave it some heart, gave it something for us to grab onto aimed at a Pixar-esque type of thing. Like even, you know, I know Wreck-It Ralph is not a Pixar movie, but they were able to grab some of that Pixar heart, you Mm -hmm. know, walk out of that movie feeling like a couple characters came to accept who they are. But there's none of that here, you know? So if you just want a movie that will wash over you and not ruin anything you thought you knew about Nintendo and the Nintendo world, and maybe even like help you live in that world for an hour and a half, that's fine. But I think the biggest problem here is is that Nintendo and Illumination wanted to make a movie that would hit the most general audiences available. And it seems to be working. We just talked about the box office being huge. And if that's what they're aiming for, that's what they got, you know? But at the end of the day, I can't recommend it. I also can't unrecommend. I can't say you're going to have a terrible time. I mean, it's a fine movie. I had some laughs. It went quick. It was breezy. It just lacked anything that would make it something that I would go back to in a few years the way I do with Wreck-It Ralph. That movie hit me in the right way, and I still love that movie. This movie will be something I personally forget within the next couple of years until we're sitting down to review an inevitable sequel. So Yeah, yeah, it won't be that long, unfortunately. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, slight not recommend on those grounds, but like I said, it's not it's not a trash heap like the original Super Mario Brothers movie. Stuart, I'll echo that. I mean, I've been very hard on this movie because it's broken my spirit. The arcade has broken my spirit. As long as we're together, everything is not going to be okay. I've come to realize that. Like, Justin, Arnie, when we get together, it's to watch these awful video game movies. (laughs) This is a different kind of bad. Like, you're right. It's strangely a glorious ride to nowhere. And maybe many people only want to be told and sold images of video games they played. But I, as I think it helped that I wasn't a Nintendo fan. I hadn't had a whole lot of experiences playing their products over the years. I was left wanting by what this movie didn't have. And you're right. Easily could have been inserted. It wouldn't have taken geniuses to take the structure they already had in place and work in heart. They had the actors, they had the animation, but where was the risk in personalizing characters that, again, like, we're owed a movie. We've known them all our life. Kind of like Mickey Mouse. We've known him all our life, but who is he really? This was their chance to tell us something about Mario, and they totally blinked. They totally did not make that movie, and I don't think the top brass at Nintendo intend to. Which is strange, because I remember feeling like Detective Pikachu did have more characterization, but they also just let new live-action characters carry the brunt of that film. It was barely about Pikachu. So maybe that's the issue. As long as you're dealing with licensed properties, they're not going to let you show their true personalities. And that means... You're going to have a very superficial Mario Brothers movie. And maybe that's super or maybe that's bland. But for me, it's a not recommend. 
I can easily recommend this to the grade school set. I mean, I was in an audience full of them, and they loved it. So just by watching their reaction, I think it gets strong recommends from anybody whose age is 10 or under. You know, you must be this short to enjoy this ride. But isn't it evil that they're being brainwashed to just consume all of this stuff with no content? Like, again, that creeps me out. I wouldn't go so far as to say evil. I would say a healthy diet of both content-rich entertainment and then this. This is like the bowl of tricks you get to have on Saturday morning, right? You get every so often a sugar bomb. Right. They forgot the toast and fruit to make it a full breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. If you want to sell kids candy, then this is a really sweet candy. I mean, it would be cruel to deny children all access to candy. Right, but don't call it a movie. But where I was with this is when this movie started, I actually had a huge grin on my face. From the opening where they had the minion with the Super Mario Kart opening sounds of the race lights to the new Nintendo movie logo with Mario and Luigi 8-bit jumping on each other to Hooked on the Brothers. I was just loving it. I'm like, I can't believe they went to Lou Albano's Mario. I can't believe they dug that deep. And then they kept digging deeper and I realized what would have been a great like five minute YouTube video of Remember When with Mario had become a 90-minute-long, uninteresting movie. And it looks great, but my lord, was I bored because every piece of storytelling here is foreshadowed a mile away, and there was nothing in the way of heart in this movie to keep me invested in any of the characters. Mario and Donkey Kong got swallowed by a big eel, and I just went, meh. You know, whatever. They're going to get out of it. I don't care. And I was clock watching this whole time, which is why I know exactly how long each act of this movie is. I was not hooked on the brothers, and it's uh, not recommend from me. And I'm feeling bad that it's doing so well because I feel so out of step. But it's not a movie I enjoyed in any way. And like you, Justin, I see no joy in the thought of ever going back to it. It succeeded in one way. I will be loading up the original Super Mario Brothers on my Switch. They have that retro game available on the Switch. I'll be playing some Super Mario Brothers this weekend. It hit that nostalgia bone. So in that way, it worked in its mission. But that's not good enough for me. But that is the mission. Again, I'm going to just call it an ad. They didn't make a movie. They made advertisements for Nintendo products in a glorious sheen. Yes. Can't speak highly enough. Again, makes it feel all the more evil that it looks so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I totally want to go to Universal Studios now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm playing the ride. Enjoy the game. I'm, I'm not anti-Mario. I hope that's not coming through. I would be this way about any franchise that would put out its wares in such a way and then refuse story. Like, that is the mistake here. And you're right. There's so many examples of kids' movies where you know, even when you know what's going to happen, they can make you cry, they can make you laugh, they can make you feel. And this one just makes it you feel numb. Like, there's no feeling here at all. It's it's the opposite of a movie. And yes, we're going to have to endure this more and be told how wrong we are because so many people were so delighted about taking the nostalgia trip. And you know what? I mean, I think I kind of said it, but I don't want to deny anybody that experience. Because like I said, this isn't a hateful movie. This isn't a movie that I feel was so crass that it was nothing but marketing. Mm. It just, it forgot 
to do the story thing. And I think that's a big deal when you're making a feature length movie. If this was a direct to video marketing ploy for kids, we probably wouldn't have watched it anyway. But this is on the big screen and it's raking in hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, Justin, I'm more of the line that it was more of that than you're crediting. I like the stuff with the dog. <laughs> Have more with the dog <laughs> next time, and I might be more generous. Here's what I'm going to offer. Take the risk of doing something original, something that has been in no game, something that takes these characters into a real world that has nothing to do with Nintendo, and let Nintendo grow by having that exchange. Yep. But that was not the mission. The mission is to keep it stagnant so it feels eternal. No, I know. And sell. Sell, sell, sell. Yep. Well, I know what my mission is. Let's just get done with these video games. Mm. Let's just finish off the video game <laughs> movies. It was my New Year's resolution. I got to say, 2023, if we can't finish off Stephen King, there's still like 30 of them, we can at least get done with the very few remaining of released movie adaptations of video games. And in two weeks, we're getting a Tetris movie. Yeah, it's already out on Apple TV Plus, and I'll say it looks good. I have high hopes for this one. It is not a movie about giant bricks falling from the sky and causing <laughs> destruction. Yeah. It is actually a biopic about the release of Tetris as a game on the Game Boy system. So more Nintendo tie-ins, but... But with a Cold War, if you wanted real world, there's a whole lot that has nothing to do with Nintendo or Atari or any of that. It's, yeah, it's all Cold War politics of the 80s. I'm looking forward to that one as well. And in the weeks ahead we also have video games of werewolves within and something called detention that were released commercially here in america that got movies we're just going to polish that off for the next month but before we get to those horror video games we got to finish off our dracula retrospective finally you know it feels like forever that we covered all those other movies gary oldman bela lugosi we are finally getting nick cage's Dracula this Friday. And I'm so glad we covered those other Dracula films because it's been revealed by the makers that they view Renfield as a direct sequel to that 1930s Dracula film. That's how they've envisioned this as a continuation. So it really is a retrospective series, not an anthology series. Yeah, we've been covering the Universal Dracula movies and this one counts. We'll cover it next Tuesday. But because... You know, it's got Nick Cage in it. It's Nick Cage's first time as Count Dracula, but not his first time as a vampire. For April patrons, we got something special <laughs> for you this Friday. His original vampire cosplay, Vampire's Kiss. Jacob and I were just digging in our heels on this one. We cannot cover Nick Cage as Count Dracula and not first review Vampire's Kiss. There is no way to get it on the main feed. Too many new release movies, but... For our $10 or more patrons on Apple, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Podbean, or on Patreon, you're going to get Vampire's Kiss this Friday as our kiss to everyone who keeps now playing going and supports our show. Thank you very much for supporting us, and I think you'll have a good time on Friday. It is one of the first times Nick really went uncaged. Can't wait. So, Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me, and until next time, game over.
That is but a taste of our fury. Do you yield? <laughs> I do not. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. If you just want to end this right now, I would understand. We hope you've enjoyed the show. No, I was going to ask you the same thing. If, if you want to end this right now and you feel bad about that, but you want to talk to somebody about it, you can call me. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Let's get out of here for this fungus stuff. Each is alive. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, The Wizard, and more. I believe you can do that. Because we're sitting on my butt all day playing video games, that's why. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. I finally found it. Now who's gonna stop me? Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. I need Cuba going to Labos! Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Yes, I think that proposal would mutually benefit both our parties. Yes, yes, okay, now, hand over the rack. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. I've waited too long to let all this slip away. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Come on, Mario! You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Look at this place. Pathetic. It gets worse every day. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Not sure if you know who I am, but I'm about to rule the world. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Heath and Arnie. If we get it wrong one more time, he's going to kill us. He's not going to kill us. He's not that nice. But we'd be done here a lot sooner if your goons would stop harassing us. Now Playing Credits, read by Brock. That's exactly what I told him, sir! Exactly what I told him! Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. We can talk about this later, if later even occurs! The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. What my brother is trying to say is he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't even know how to begin.
Now Playing podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated. See you later, alligator. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2023, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Mario, voiced by Chris Pratt, and his brother Luigi, voiced by Charlie Cox, are a couple of plumbers in New York boroughs. Charlie Day. I thought it was Charlie Day. You're right, Charlie Day, not Daredevil. (laughs) 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 And while we're talking about the music, stop with I Need a Hero. We just had Shazam 2, like, two weeks ago. Actually, unfortunately, you can't use that. It's in Tetris, and we haven't aired that show yet. Oh, God.